Hello, everyone. This is Trading for Keeps. I'm Brian, and this is... This is Michael. And today, we're going to talk about 529 plans, among other things. And so I thought I'd get, let Michael go here and give a little introduction about 529 plans. Uh, five, yeah, 529 plans, everybody, are your, uh, your basically your college savings plans, essentially, where you can set aside money for your child or for, for really for anybody, I think. I think you can do it necessarily, you know, for a, for a cousin, for a niece, for a nephew. Um, and you, you set aside money and it's, uh, it's got some tax benefits for them. Um, but if you don't use it for the purpose, for educational purposes, and that's there's a wide range of educational purposes we can use it for. Um, then there will be, you know, there's tax penalties if you just draw it back out. So, you know, I just think this is a very relevant topic right now, given I have, uh, we're recording this in the beginning of uh, June 2020, and uh, I've got a baby coming in about two months. Brian already has one. I do. She's uh, one year, almost 10 months, so almost two, you know, so time to start college planning right now. <laughs> exactly. She's going to college in 16 years, right? If you haven't, you you better be planning. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, so Brian's a little further ahead of me than this because I guess you have to have their uh, you have to have a, an actual human being to set an account up for. So I actually can't set the account up yet. Brian's already been through it once. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I remember. So this is the fun part of how having a child. It's like you know you have to get the social security number. You have to get all those documents together, and then and then it's time to start saving for their future and you know making sure they have health care and all that other stuff. But uh, but yes, you do have to have a living being in order to get that 529 plan set up. So, uh, but I, that's one of the first few things that I did uh, when we had Zoe. Um, and, you know, I'm a huge, again, into this kind of financial planning world. And um, I say one of the interesting things is, um, so when we, when we have baby showers or you, when you, you know, when we do wedding gifts or that sort of thing, um, whenever we had a, a um, you know, a birthday for Zoe for her first year, one-year-old birthday, uh, we don't want people to get her toys because we have so many toys. She has so many, many toys. I've, so I've we, been to his house. I can vouch for this. She has, she has more toys than they have furniture. It's true. It's true. And <laughs> if you have a kid, you'll, you'll, you'll realize this. And like, we have a, a kind of a small house, so it's just there's limited space. And, and everyone wants to get toys, and that's fine. If you get us a toy, we'll be very happy. But if you get us a book, we'll be very happy with it. But and I actually, you don't have to get us anything. No gift. You could just show up to to any party we have at our house. But but if people really feel that they want to give a gift and they want to make a meaningful contribution, I always say just give us cash, and I promise to you, we will put it into Zoe's 529 plan. So and so whenever that happens, we set it aside and we put it in there. And actually, Fidelity is pretty helpful when you do set up the 529 plan. They want you to contribute to that 529 plan. So they actually have like social media integration. So like you can, it'll give you an email customizable link that you can like draft up and you can send it to your family and friends, and they can just click on that link and like direct deposit into your 529 plan if you want to. And of course, you know, again, the IRA limits are just gift contribution limits per year you can give and stuff like that. But but none of my friends are going to give like, you know, $15,000. So it's just a little <laughs> $50, you know, here and there type thing. And I think that's pretty cool. And so um, it, was, it was a fun process um, setting up the 529 plan. And, and my wife asked a lot of questions when we were doing this too. So, you know, it's like, well, I think Zoe's going to be really smart. Like what if she doesn't even like, you know, she gets, gets, gets a scholarship or she's going to be really athletic, you know, then what happens to the money? And then, you know, um, there's so there's certain circumstances again if if the you know if the child were to die or something like that you know the uh, IRS has um or if you get a scholarship there's certain conditions where you can also get the money back out in addition to the ones uh, you know if you have qualified education expenses and qualifying education expenses include again 
this is you can go read the IRS guidelines, but it's it's kind of broad. So again, it can be like you know um, books or you know uh, anything kind of school related, even some housing to a certain extent. So I try to, and then the other question is like, wow, if we put money in a 529 plan, like, are just this college is going to screw around financial aid? And uh, at least in my research, it sounds like um, it's a net benefit to still contribute to the 529 plan, even you know when they when they put those five those financial aid packages together. So after all that research and all that planning, we were um, we're happy to set up a 529 plan for her. And then there's one last point. I think it's it's kind of interesting. We we kind of also are like little social experimentation. So again, I. I let my wife choose her retirement plan, even though I love doing this stuff. I was like, you know, honey, you can choose whatever stocks you want, whatever mutual funds you want. But I think one interesting thing, and so when we set up our 529 plan, it was in the fall of last year. So you got to think of market timing. This is pre-COVID. The market's been going on a big run, you know. Um, and so what I said was like, hey, how about we put in, you know, we'll put two thirds in aggressive growth. Because again, she's got 16 years and we'll yeah. put... Um, and we'll put the remaining one third, we'll split it half, half conservative portfolio. And, and it's a medium growth portfolio because you, you can choose like high, medium, low and just see which performs better over the long term. Is the you know high aggressive growth really going to perform? And so um, I have to say it's interesting to see what each of those did in the next in the, over the next few months and where they all ended up and bounced around to. Um, and so uh, I'm sure Zoe will appreciate this in the future, the social experiment we did with her. <laughs> <laughs> How are how are they doing? Which one's in the lead at this point? So it's really funny, actually. And so we're recording this again. Um, you know, G- first week of June, uh, aggressive growth actually is in second place. So it's up six percent. It actually was the lowest of the few when it hit that you know bottom out. Um, uh, and for a while, conservative growth was leading, but now conservative growth is actually the last place. So it's at four percent up, still pretty good. Uh, moderate growth is seven percent up, and aggressive growth is six percent up. So that's how the wow. That's actually really go- good. I mean, and considering, um, for the for the record, the Nasdaq did hit its all-time high, which I think the Nasdaq is definitely some of the more aggressive stocks out there. The Nasdaq did close at record highs on Friday. Um, yeah. I don't know if you noted that. So yeah, so that's I'm actually not terribly surprised because you know that Nasdaq certainly does contain the more aggressive, uh, a lot of the more aggressive ones. A lot of you know a lot of penny stocks even live on Nasdaq. So and at the same time, a lot of huge companies, your Amazons, your Microsofts. Well, no, actually Microsoft I think is New York Stock Exchange. But anyways, your Amazons, your Facebooks, all of them live on Nasdaq. So yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's that's really really good stuff there just to start us off. Um, so what? Let's get down to a little bit of brass tacks, and I'm gonna I'm gonna let Brian answer some of these questions. I, so when you contribute to a 529 plan. You know, and this is different from a uh, 401k, right? Where I know 401ks, you contribute and you get to deduct that. But a 529 plan, you contribute after tax. Is that correct? And that's why it can be gifted and everything. Yeah, that's right. So it's it's all after tax money. But when you when you take out the money in the future, if you provided you do it for those qualifying expenses, then it's not taxed when you take it out. So it's, it's acting like a Roth in that context. Um, but there, you're right. But you're right. There is a penalty if you take it out and use it. If you take out Again, it's the gains. So, for instance, if you made a thousand dollars, there were, and you didn't use it for the proper expenses, or you took it out early, or whatever, then that's what will get taxed and penalized. If you the, the gains, um, and it's I think it's a ten percent penalty on that, um, in addition to being taxed. Um, okay, yes. so that's kind of right in line with like a Roth IRA, yep, where you yep. can take you can put the contributions and take the contributions in and out really as much as you want, but the gains have to stay put until a certain point. They can only come out for qualified. Well, with a Roth IRA, they can't come out until you're 59 and a half, I believe. Uh, with a the 529, they stay put 
or they have to come out for qualified expenses. So let's talk. You mentioned qualified expenses can be. I'm, I'm I think it's obvious, but tuition. You're mm-hmm. saying you made the point of you know we're gonna, all going to have the smartest kids and super athletic. They're going to get scholarships, right? So we're not going to have to pay tuition. So we're really not worried about that. Obviously, we're gonna we're gonna plan for it, but there's a good chance our kids are gonna figure out how to pay tuition on their own through uh, athletic or you know or intelligence scholarships. We mentioned books. So books, I don't know how well scholarships. I never had it. Well, I had the GI Bill, which is a great program, by the way. If you can't afford college, just you know give five <laughs> give four years to the uh, <laughs> to Uncle Sam. Uh, you can't go wrong with that. But you know, you but I still had other expenses even as uh, even you know even using the GI Bill, I still had to live somewhere. Um, so you mentioned that living expenses can be covered. Is that on yes. campus broadly or is it anywhere? What is there? Do you so, know? So my understanding, I think it's, there's a limit to, so there, so for instance, if on campus was a certain amount, you could use that amount for on campus. Also, if you could also use that equivalent amount off campus, but you couldn't say if there's like a $100,000 penthouse that was way above the on campus limit, then put it to that because I think the IRS doesn't like that. So th- that's the logic behind the rule, is my understanding. Okay, so but you can use it for room and board to a general extent, you know? Yeah, to the so what, what a normal person would use it for. <laughs> yes. Gotcha. For a reasonable amount. I love that. Yeah. I also I read from some of my research that even a computer, you know, I mean, really a computer is an essential tool at this point. Um, but you can actually, if you need to buy a computer, you can use your uh, 529 plan to buy that computer for the for the student. So what about if if she decides not to go to college? So not that any of our kids would not decide not to go to college. Well, she, but, of course, if she becomes Bill Gates and drops out, you know, and all that stuff. So, uh, so well, I think, lady, what if she decides to be a welder or a plumber? You know, oh, maybe she's excellent professions. <laughs> you know, those are excellent professions. I, so, I would, but you don't. Usually those don't require a college degree to do. Yeah. So, so my understanding is, you know, community college, trade school, those, those expenses are qualified expenses. Even um, K through 12 education. So if you go to the private school route, I'm, I'm not sure about the homeschooling route, but if you go to like, say, you know, a, um, like a, a private school, I think it's up to 10,000 you can use per year for that schooling expense. So okay. my wife, she's all into like getting into the best school district or, you know, doing private school if we don't get into the best school district. So I'm always saying, honey, if things don't work out, you can always use it for that, you know, expense as well. All right. Well, excellent. That's really good stuff. I also read, and I don't know if you saw this, but student loans. So oh, you can actually use it to pay back student loans. So which I guess, and I, I don't, and I didn't dive into it too much, but I'm kind of thinking, you know, you can almost, you can get student loans. They, they just hand those out these days. Right. So, I mean, yeah, so you could use it for students. The other thing is you could you can change the beneficiary, hypothetically. So if you had another kid, maybe there, they need the expenses. Or hypothetically, even if you wanted to get additional education, right? So if you wanted to get more schooling or more. So there's, I think it wouldn't so be I, hard to spend the money. All right. So if I end up having two kids, I set aside all this money for them. One gets a scholarship and just doesn't need anything from me. The other one's a plumber. And, and you know barely uses any of it in, in trade school i can then go back and use this money for my own phd yeah go get a phd i think a phd hey. in economics would suit you michael <laughs> you have a good time <laughs> i don't know i think they would either throw me out or give me a nobel prize i have no idea <laughs> you'll end up a professor it'll be great man a professor of the business school i love it <laughs> oh. well that's all right so that's really good now i know that this is um so we mentioned, especially at the federal level, it's uh, there's it's post-tax contributions, mm-hmm. um, but it does vary state by state. And I think the state thing 
in my research was one of the kind of the most interesting parts about it. Um, I didn't realize this, but Brian, of course, Brian did because he had done the research. But it doesn't matter what state you live in; you can contribute to any state. And this is all strictly to the U.S. So any of our foreign listeners, uh, this just may not apply to you at all. You might want to skip to college or something, right? In your yeah, you, yeah, you guys might have it all figured out anyway. So you might want to skip to the next <laughs> podcast at this point. But uh, but we're really dealing with the U.S. law. So if you live in one of the 50 states, you can actually contribute to any of the 529 uh, state plans of any of the different states. And then you can also send your kid or your kid can go to a college in any state. So essentially, a North Carolina resident, like me and Brian are, could contribute to, theoretically, um, New Hampshire's. Mm-hmm. We'll say just New Hampshire's. We like their New Hampshire state plan. This is not an endorsement of New Hampshire's state plan. I don't know if it's good or not. But anyways, <laughs> but we could essentially contribute to New Hampshire's state plan, and then our child could go to college in California, and that would all transfer no problem. Is that's that- right. Yeah, that's that was my understanding. That's that's right, according to my research. I So I actually look... Again, you got to make your own decisions, but um, certain states have a tax benefit. North Carolina did not when I was setting up the plan, so there was no benefit for North Carolina residents to go choose North Carolina's plan. And I'm, I'm actually a state employee of North Carolina, so maybe, oh, maybe patriotism, I'd support it. But actually, I was searching for the best possible plan. And so for me, what is the best possible plan? I think it's the one that offers the best investment choices with the lowest expense ratios. Um, and so those are the states that I tried to look at it. And so, um, so I basically... There's certain funds that I like, and you know, there you can look at all the different 529 plans, what mutual funds and what fund options you have, and maybe you have a certain preference, and then you maybe you have a certain expense ratio you like, and so then I kind of just narrowed it down based on those criteria. And so I'm I ended up choosing Arizona. That was my choice, but I mean, again, maybe New Hampshire's the greatest. I'm not I'm not endorsing Arizona, but that's just the one I ended up choosing out of all my research. And uh, I think it, it, to me, to be honest, I don't think it was anything. It was. One was dramatically better than the other. It was just kind of maybe my my minor preferences that led me to go to Arizona. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Arizona is. I also understand, and you mentioned, you touched on this. Now, North Carolina, we don't, it doesn't matter how much we give to our 529 plans here in North Carolina, we don't get a a dime in, uh, in state tax deduction. But actually, 30 states. So odds are that if you're listening to this inside the United States, your state, has a better chance of actually giving you some sort of tax deduction than not. So it's certainly worth looking up and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, determining each state that we're not going to dive into the 30 different states. Uh, but I can tell you North Carolina. Yeah. They, they don't care. Yeah. It's d- disappointing. I was like all ready to be like, Oh yes, North Carolina. It's like, why does anybody give money to this place? You know, come on, man. Give me a little you tax. Think, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's because there's so many colleges in North Carolina. Yeah. We've got Duke, we've got UNC, we've got, uh, you know, we got Wake Forest. It's just, you know, I don't know. It's big, big college. State, yeah, but... There's no, there's no need. There's people here, you know, they're doing just fine. The, the schools are doing just fine. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if they gave the deduction, then they wouldn't be, although they're not contributing all that much to, I said they're cutting back tuitions through the roof anyways, so that's, that's why right. I went to college. Full disclosure, so but I don't. I, those tuition dollars don't go to pay my salary, so. <laughs> so yeah, so that is one of the nice. All right, but one one of the nice things I found too is there's actually so if you're not getting any any uh, tax deductions or anything, you don't even have to report it. Um, it's not like one. It's not even a line item on your federal tax tax returns each year or anything like that. Um, if your state doesn't offer any tax benefit, there's really you don't have to, you know, you don't really have to tell them anything. You brought up an interesting thing. I did not know this until we started talking. But you said that people can actually direct deposit 
directly into it for you. Now, is there any sort of minimum? I mean, it can be five dollars from you know the five like you know my grandma for instance. I think she's like ninety six at this point, and I still get ten dollars every like, birthday. You know, so sweet. She is so, it is so sweet, and I love it. It's adorable. So like, but at the same time, is is there a minimum? I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a five or ten dollar or a hundred dollar contribution that somebody wanted to give to that direct deposit. I'm I am specifically on Fidelity right now. Yeah, so I'm also on Fidelity, and I don't recall there being a minimum. But I mean, again, if there, if there was one, I mean, Grandma could just send you the $5 bill in the mail, and then you could make the $5 direct deposit. I think, you know, Fidelity lets you do that through the different accounts. So, But I think they are, again, <laughs> Fidelity, Fidelity wants your money to go through their system. I think they might try to have suggested amounts, but um, I don't think, as I recall, I don't think there was a minimum. But again, it may have changed, or it may, it might not have that right. So... Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's what I think. Cause I, you know, I get it. I understand that like, when we had our wedding, I, I understood, you know, some people, some, one, you know, some people in the family, I might only get, I might get five or $10 from and other ones were writing checks for like a hundred or something, you know, oh, so yeah. I understand there's, you know, I just don't want anyone to feel excluded, you know, if they wanted to do something, you know, I guess I was just more curious for, you know, because I think, you know, there's people of all different you know, socioeconomic backgrounds that still have, you know, would maybe want to get into this oh, and be able to set that up and help out whether it's their child or their uh, their grandchild or whatever. Absolutely. So I, I'm all about that. Again, whenever I have a, you know, birthday party, wedding, it's like, you don't have to give me anything. But if you do, you know, here's what I prefer. But if you give me something totally different, that's okay, too. <laughs> in, in the same way for our wedding, it was like, you know, we have all the linens, we have all the bed sheets we want. Just if you want to give a, a gift, a cash gift is what we'd prefer. But again, if you get us anything, that's great. If you get us nothing, that's fine. We just want your presence at our wedding. That would be great. And then whenever I am in a position to give, you know, I'll give people what they want. If they have a gift registry, happy to give the gift registry. If they want cash, I'll give cash. And maybe this is another side tangent, but again, you're right. There's grandmas that give $5 and then there's some weird friends of mine that just give crazy amounts of money. And so I, again, I don't want to feel, make anyone feel guilty. So I always try to give the amount of money that is like I think appropriate, so people don't feel guilty. That it's just the right amount. Like that is my goal, you know. So maybe just tangent on on proper gift giving etiquette. Just try to don't go crazy. Don't try to go too low, but just give just be that Goldilocks amount, you know, just the right <laughs> amount. <laughs> and everyone will be happy. And society will function. All right, sounds good. That sounds really good. Um, well, her. All right, since we went off on a whole bunch of what if maybes, right? What if they become a plumber? What if they get a scholarship? What if they're not going to college at all and um, they just, you know, they're they're just going to follow around, I don't know, the next Rolling Stones. That's what they're going to do. do well, you've set that account up for them. Is Zoe just going to be able to take that money and just cash it in and, and be a groupie? I mean, how does that work? Is it, yeah, so is it I mean her money? I gave you all those those things, you know, if, if we have another child, I could change the beneficiary, I could go back to school, but assuming it, all that pans out, and there's just this magical sum of money left in there, and and, and she, she's she's made it back, she's, she's, she's the next Taylor Swift, she never went to college, you know, she's wealthy, or well, even if she didn't go to college, she's, she's just roaming the world, I'm fine giving her that money, that's, as a parent, you know, I set aside that money for her, I'm not going to dig into that money and take it for myself, I mean, that's, that's my logic uh, right now, so... You know, I hope that she uses that for her education. I hope that she uses it to enrich her life. Um, but philosophically to me, um, you know, I, I just want my kids to have a happy life and a fulfilling life. And if this helps them do that, then that's that's what this money is for. Certainly. 
I guess what I was getting at, though, but the donor maintains control of the money. Is that correct? Sorry, yes. I I have control of the account. (laughs) You have control of the account. So even if, say, she turns 18 and she's flat broke and decides, like I said, she decides she's going to follow around whatever cool rock band is out there right then. As a dad, I'm not going to like that. She can't just cash out that money and use it use it to go and uh and pay for everybody's fast food and, and whatnot <laughs> that, that, that is correct you still have okay. control over the account that's right so you, she i can't just you know if she if she wants to like hey i'm gonna start you know a drug ring operation i'd be like nope time out you're not getting money <laughs> <laughs> okay well very good all right well excellent that's really good i don't know do you have anything more to can to offer up on the on the 529 plans i was just I just thought that was really relevant because, you know, especially anybody, a new dad like myself, um, it's a new topic. And, you know, I just and I and I know I, I know we're at that age where, you know, a lot of us are becoming dads or are young dads. Yeah. So I, I was going to go off on a, on a little bit of a tangent. Um, and so this is yeah. maybe my law school in me and my and my lawyer, you know. So um, so the, I think the interesting thing. So maybe um, and this article is a little dated from 2015, but I mean, I'll let you play a little trivia for you, Michael. So. How many 529 plans do you think exist uh, in 2015? How many 529 plans were there total? So the government has been trying to advertise this. They want people to save for college. How many people set up, or how many accounts existed um, in 2015? How many accounts existed in 2015? We had a population of the 320 million people. Uh, I think about one third of them were under 18 years of old, right? So now we're down to, you know... Uh, a little over 100 million, called 105 million, 110 million of the age to have a 529 plan. I would want to say that, you know, it's probably in the 50 to 25 percent of that. So I'm going to have to say I'm going to say 35 million accounts. Man, you 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 love America. You are optimistic. <laughs> you plan really well. I want to say you have to take that number and you have to maybe a third of that. So the article, and this is, again, Maybe they've done a better job since 2015, but the article I was reading is that there were only 7 million accounts, uh, 7 wow. million 529 counts, uh, 529 plans. Again, I think probably people, again, and maybe this is 25, 2015, and, I mean, we were kind of coming out of the recession then, but I think people maybe, you're right, there's only so many dollars that go around, right? You can only contribute, you know, to your, your 401k, your Roth IRAs, your IRAs, um, you know, again, you have your basic living expenses, I think sometimes when people are saving, you know, they're like, you know, which one should I prioritize, right? Should I prioritize my 401k? Should I prioritize, you know, saving for a house? Should I, you know, so where do I have my priorities live? Or should I, you know, just put a little bit in everything, right? And so I think those 7 million people decided, you know, I'm going to try to do this. But I think a lot of people, and maybe they hadn't even heard about 529 plans. That's the other possibility. But uh, there's only 7 million accounts in 2015. Now, now here is the other interesting thing. Again, this is my law school tangent. So um, when you break it down into tax benefits, right? So there's a tax benefit to this account, right? Certainly. And and there's people that make incomes of, you know, certain threshold dollars. So this is kind of a loaded question. But for households making over $150,000, what percentage, so of the 7 million 529 plans, there's a certain percentage of them that make over $150,000, right? What percentage of the tax benefits of those 7 million accounts, go to households over $150,000. So who's benefiting the most from the 529 plans? Well, if if my, if my what I know about economics and taxes uh, is going to apply here at all, I'm going to have to say it's in the 90% range. Yeah, 80%. So 80% okay, 80%, tax 80% wow, right up there. Went, went to households over 150000 Actually, 
uh, for incomes over 200,000, 70% of the benefits went over to households with incomes over $200,000. So this is, the reason I'm bringing this up is it was just an interesting article. I was just going through history is uh, reading about, you know, the history of 529 plans. And basically in the Obama era administration, they, they tried to almost eliminate 529 plans or the benefits around them. And there was a huge public backlash to that and they dropped the proposal. But uh, they're, they're, I guess the logic in that administration was, you know, maybe we could get rid of this credit and to do something more, you know, uh, benefiting all middle, you know, middle incomes or lower income families. But although that number, um, the benefits maybe primarily go to those households over 150,000, there's still a lot of 529 plans that are held by, um, you know, people having under 150,000. Actually, 70% of the total accounts are of incomes less than 150,000 of those 7 million. They're just not reaping the okay. maximum benefits, right? They're only reaping, reaping minimum benefits because there is kind of maximum contribution levels yeah. and everything, and they're, they're fairly high. And, you know, I think it, that, that kind of makes sense, too, because if, what, do you happen to know maybe what a, what a max contribution on a 529 plan is per year? So I don't know off the top of my head, but I know that the gift – uh, so there's a gift minimum. If you hit a certain threshold for gift money per year, then there's a gift lifetime gifting amount, right? Um, and so anything under 15000 you really don't have to report. So I would imagine, again, so people individually could give that amount per year. Um, and I guess that that amount may have changed over years as well. Um, so there's a limit per, 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 per individual that can give, and as well as yourself that can give to it. Um, but I guess if you had multiple donors, real, then they well, each give... Well, real quick, it's, there's a max... Uh, contribution per account of four hundred and fifty thousand. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, so the ca- account maxes out. That's interesting. So yeah, the actual account. That's uh, that's in North Carolina. They may differ by state a little bit, but four hundred fifty thousand. But I mean, really you know, I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. But I'm thinking, for me, I don't think I'm gonna come anywhere close to it. I'm not gonna come anywhere close to setting aside four hundred and fifty thousand dollars no for way. my sweet, sweet little. I'm gonna try, but. <laughs> Unless, unless yeah. the U.S. dollar becomes the Zimbabwe dollar, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking more like, you know, if I can do, you know, if I can do a few thousand dollars a year over the course of 18 years, I'll be doing pretty good. Like, you know, so, all right, that that makes sense because I think, you know, I think the the rich base, so it's basically, it's, it's one of those things that it's set up where it sounds like it might be beneficial to everybody. And there might be some benefits uh, that everybody can reap from it, but it does sound like some of the rich are the ones that, uh, that they are able to capitalize this on the most. Okay. Yeah. That, that's really interesting. I'm glad you brought that up, just so we kind of knew a little bit about it. Uh, but that's just maybe one more reason, if we get the word out a little bit about this, uh, you know, maybe some more people can take advantage of it. Because, you know, $100 contributed today uh, to an account is likely to grow to at least four or $500 by the time we're, uh, you know, by the time the kid's going to college, so 18 years from now, um, given the history of bull bear markets, blah blah blah. But odds are, you know, we're gonna we're gonna have uh, significantly. Odds are the market's gonna go up significantly between now and then. So it's just worth it, even if it's a hundred dollars a year, a hundred dollars a month, uh, you know, a hundred dollars one time, those fifty dollar or ten dollar gifts from grandma, little stuff like that that you necessarily weren't ex- weren't expecting, you might be able to set aside. And then actually reap a little bit of a tax benefit when you cash out and not have to pay taxes on the gains. Yeah, and I think the other interesting thing, like you mentioned, you know, I don't know where American politics would be, you know, where it will be in 18 years. You know, like maybe, you know, I'm certain certain candidates as they have their platform as, you know, you know, no student loan debt, you know, or no college tuition. And I, I guess we're not 
predicting the future either. But I would imagine, even even in those countries that do have free college tuition, I would imagine there's still educational expense, like the room and board and the the books and the computers. I mean, again, I don't, I can't predict the future, but I would imagine there's still going to be some expense in the future for education that people are going to want to spend on in the future. So I think this, if you can put away the money and you have a kid, I think this money is going to be something that can be really well spent. And at a worst case, at worst case, the principal can be taken out, you know, with no penalty later on. And worst case, if you did have to take it out, I mean, there is that 10% penalty, but that's worst case, worst case. I think that the, the most likely case is you're going to get enormous benefit, enormous savings over the long term. And I don't see that changing, at least in, in, the, in the near future. So. Oh, cool. All right. Well, very good. So is there anything else maybe that uh, that kids can do or children can do? I think Brian, once again, this is this is a Brian show today. I like it. Um, you said that your was it your dad actually set something up for you when you started making a few dollars and now. You know, I think Brian and I have both started working at a very young age. But one of the things, you know, people don't necessarily think when when a kid has a paper route at 11 or has a lemonade stand at 6, you know, they don't necessarily think about uh, retirement, right? They're just thinking right. about, you know, maybe they maybe they go buy a remote control car or, I don't know, a, a selfie stick. I don't know what the kids buy these days. <laughs> selfie sticks. <laughs> I, I'm probably like that's like, that comment's like probably five years. I, out I, of think, I think you'll be surprised. <laughs> you'll find out soon enough. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but, but your point, yeah. I I was very fortunate when I was working as as a young adult that um my parents were you know well off enough that when I was working you know I made you know I don't know minimum wage job you know worked a, a bunch of hours in the summer made you know made a few hundred dollars right and, you know and I used that for you know, for fun stuff at that teenage year, you know, I bought, you know, I went to Hollister, I bought some t-shirts and stuff, you know, and some random junk, right, of video games and stuff like that. Um, but my parents were uh, wise enough to basically make a, um, a Roth IRA and, and make a contribution equal to the amount that I had made that year, and then let that grow um, within, with the market, you know, it was just in, again, in some, you know, you know, um, aggressive growth mutual fund. And, um, you know, to that day, that that actually helped seed my Roth IRA, which I happened to trade out of a little bit. So. <laughs> Very good. Well, I mean, that's an interesting point because if you if you've studied, if you've ever taken an economics class at all, they always give you some of those basic numbers. They go, okay, if you're 20 years old and you contribute a thousand dollars a year for 10 years, and then just let that grow, but you stop at 30. So you start at 20, you stop at 30, a thousand dollars a year. And then now if you start up later, $1,000 a year from 30 all the way to 65, all right, and you contribute $1,000, $1,000, and you're both growing at the same rate, that person who started at 20 with $1,000 a year is, is going to outpace that person who started at 30, even though that person that started at 30 is now contributing um, you know, $1,000 over the course of 35 years. That person that only did $10,000 is going to actually outpace their growth will outpace if you know the market keeps up with everything it's going to you know everything historically that it has done you know so i think that's kind of the key takeaway so even if you know let's say um you know who knows you know we're right right now with the you know we may never get back to work here coming out of covid we may never come out of covid maybe all of our jobs disappear but you know i'm i'm assuming that my kids is going to be super smart and she's going to figure out a way to make a buck. So I just hope to at least, even if I can encourage her to set around aside 10% of that, you know, when she's out there hustling with her lemonade stand, 
I'm going to have her, you know, you can encourage her to set aside 10% of that. If she makes $100, put $10 into an IRA or a Roth IRA. And, and that, because that can just start to grow. When you start early, the earlier you start, because I always talk about starting at 20, you know, but what if you can start at 10 and have that extra 10 years of growth? I think that can be, you know, a huge impact, um, especially if you can get them to do that, because obviously a 10-year-old, or even, because, I mean, come on, even most 20-year-olds, don't think about it, you know, um, and don't actually take any sort of retirement seriously, right? We're all uh, we're all living for today, and we're all expecting to be dead by 26, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're 30 and 35, and you 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 think, oh wow, I actually might make it to retirement, and that's when you that's when people start thinking about it. And and not only that, there's you know, there's there's horrible statistics out there, the amount of even baby boomers that don't that have you know very little set aside for retirement. Um, and so I just think it's one of those things that, you know, always the earlier you can start, uh, the better off you're going to be. So with the Roth IRA, so anybody can contribute to that. Do you know, do you know how that works, Brian? Yeah. So, I mean, you have to have, the, you have to have earned that, you have to have earnings of that amount to be able to contribute that amount. Um, I guess, yeah, I guess either my parents did it or they did it in my name. I don't know exactly how they did it at that time to do that. And I, yeah, I'm not actually quite sure of the rules. I mean, I guess. From that point on in my life, I've always made my own contributions based off of my own earnings. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. Do you know the answer to that? I, well, I know that you, that's, that you hit the key, though, is earned income. So I can't, you know, her first year out, I can't just put money into an account for a Roth IRA for her. Because unless she's done something, you know, I don't know. I don't want to call it just yet. But odds are... A one-year-old is not going to do anything to earn any money, yep. you know, unless, unless, I don't know, maybe you've got a different experience. No, no, she's, <laughs> so, she's, a, she's definitely draining the money out of the account. <laughs> <Okay. account. laughs> so. Actually, to be funny, funny enough, you mentioned this, she actually did earn money as a model. She was a baby model in China. <laughs> okay, don't, I don't know if we reported that on our taxes, but she, she, maybe on Chinese taxes, we did that. <laughs> I won't get into it. We're not using last names. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. She, but she, she did some modeling. So she, you buy some baby clothing in China, you might see my daughter, you know, wearing some random clothing. All right. So she did make some. So, but like, basically, as soon as she's making money, as soon as there's a check cut to her name, you can that's up to that entire uh, portion can be set aside into a Roth IRA, and you can actually set it up. But the key is that they have to actually earn that money. It can't. You can't just gift that money to them. It can't be a gift from grandma. I mean, you can use a gift from grandma, but if they don't earn money, if they don't actually have uh, any sort of earned money, taxable income, then you can't. Uh, you can't. Then they can't yeah. contribute to an IRA. Yeah, yeah they can't like, IRA. So, for instance, if they only earned a thousand dollars, you couldn't put two thousand in the account. You could only put one thousand in the account if they earned one thousand. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. Um, well, since we're on to Roth IRAs, and I really don't want to make uh, this ever, you know, we're more of uh, active stock market, active trading and everything. Since we're on to Roth IRAs, and, you know, I figure this might be a good chance we can kind of dive into, do you know the, the difference between a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA? I, well, yes. So <laughs> I give you the Brian answer, which maybe is not the the exact answer, but so to my, to my how I picture it in my mind. So the Roth is... um. So after you've earned your money, you put it in this account, and it grows, and then when you take it out, you don't get taxed on that income. When, with a traditional IRA or 401k, or in my example, in a university, we have a nonprofit, they have a thing called a 403b. That money, if you say you earned 
$60,000 a year, you put $10,000 in your 401k or your 403b or your IRA, to the government, it looks like you're making $50,000. So it, it reduces your adjusted gross income. So you're taxed on a smaller amount of money up front. So the one you're taxed up front, the other you're taxed at the end when you take it out. So the, uh, and I guess it, it's uh, dependent on what your strategy is and what you think you want to do. So for, for me, just give you my individual circumstances. And I, I think your circumstances are actually different than mine. Say if you have student loans, um, some student loans are based, the, the payment you have to make to the government is based on a percentage of your adjusted gross income. So if you want to uh, reduce your adjusted gross income, a better strategy would be is to give it through IRA or 401k or 403b. That would reduce your adjusted gross income. But say you think uh, you're in a really high tax bracket and you think you'll be in a lower tax bracket later on, you may want to, you know, put that money, you know, in the in the Roth route. So I I, I mean it, I guess it's up to your individual circumstances. But that's that's my Brian Eller view of the world is how he sees it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I have I, I managed my own retirement. Um, you know, I had a the thrift savings plan, which is actually what federal government workers had. That I had that when I was in the military. Um, so kind of it, once again, it's its own entity, kind of like your 403. You know, okay. where uh, kind of yeah. So it's its own entity. It just kind of works a little bit different, but it's very similar to you know the rest of the. It has certain tax benefits and whatnot. Um, this, I've never had a, a 401k. Is that for the military? The military or all federal workers have that, or? My understanding is it's open to all federal workers. Okay. So yeah, so that's my understanding. But I know is I know that was the only option. Like I didn't have the option of contributing to a 401k. You Did know, they match a the, certain uh, amount or anything like that in the uh, the savings plan? They did not match. No, there was no match. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember. It's been a few years. I I, I left the military in 2008, so it's been about 12 years. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know. There was no match. I'm trying to remember. I think there was like, you can only contribute up to a certain amount of your income. It was up to like 15%. So it was pretty sizable. It was like, you know, you, most people were not, were doing less than the max, mm-hmm. uh, that they could get. So, but yeah, it was, there was no, there was no match because then there would, if the match would just expand the overall budget, the federal budget and everything. So if people actually, so, so there was no match. It's a market-based plan, so you could choose the investments in there, or was it? Uh, or were they giving you a pension later on? Or no, it was market-based. Yeah, it was market-based, similar to, from what I can tell, similar to a, a 401k. Oh, okay. Where you kind of have, oh, do you want to go aggressive, medium, you know, low, that, that type of thing, and then there was a, and they just, you know, and then there was also the option where you can just say, you know, op, I pick the 2050 plan, pick the 2060 plan, oh, yeah, pick the, the 2040 plan, based on. Yeah, where they kind of figured it all out for you. They had a balance of stocks, bonds, and whatnot. And anyways, I ended up finally, when I got out, I rolled that out. And eventually, I rolled that into a uh, an IRA. I didn't contribute for a few years at all when I was working at restaurants. Moved it into an IRA. I thought you rolled One, that's, that's one nice. employer. Yeah, it, it did roll over. Does your 403 roll over? So that's a really interesting question. So I've rolled over my wife's 401k. I'd have to research if you can roll over a 403b. Um Interesting. So just one more tangent. If you work at a public institution like so I work at North Carolina State University, in addition to the 403B, there is also an optional. It's called an ORC, and I can't remember what the acronym is. It's like an optional or maybe it's ORP, optional retirement plan. But basically, the state employees have two plans they can contribute to. One is a pension plan. So you would you set a certain amount of money in there. And then after 10 years of working, it vests. And so for every year in your retirement, you get a certain amount of money 
per year. So it's not based on the market. But then for other employees, you could choose a market-based plan and then it acted like a 401k where they would, you know, the first, you're required to, to contribute to it, but then they would match a certain percentage of that contribution. So, um, so yeah, I think the 403b, the 403b acts, sorry, more like a traditional IRA. And then this optional retirement plan, which I, I'm not sure how that works state by state, but that one works within the university and that has its own rules. But interesting enough, if I switch employers, right? So you can roll over when you switch, you know, your 401k or whatnot. If I, if I switched employers, uh, my understanding is if I had not already vested, if I was pre-vested, um, if the other university had a similar retirement plan, it would have let me keep the amount of money and I wouldn't have lost the vesting benefits. Sorry, this is really tangent. But anyway, so that's how the, uh, my retirement plans were set up at the university. Gotcha. All right. So there's obviously quite a few different things out there. Yeah. But if you don't have any sort of retirement, and a lot of those are pretty, pretty, you know, I think they're set up more. Um, so you don't, they're pretty hands off. You know, basically yes. you, you sign somewhere when you start. The contributions are automatic. And basically the system takes care of it for you. Where I think your IRAs and Roth IRAs are uh, a little different because you actually kind of you have to you have to well you not have to but you can manage those and there's different levels of management. The one employer I had, I signed up with a uh, you know I think it was with Edward Jones initially, mm-hmm. and they you know they set you up that you know they always ask you how uh, how much do you know about the stock market? I said nothing, <laughs> you know, and they go how aggressive do you want to be? I go as aggressive as possible, you know. I'm 24 years old, so yeah. Um, and it just went into some, yeah, some mutual fund, and they just bought it automatically. So every week I'd contribute, you know, I don't know, it was 60, 80, 100, I don't know how much. It was some amount came out of my paycheck, went to Edward Jones, and they would buy more shares of that uh, mutual fund for me. Yeah, um, no, I, and that, I think it's, inter- it's interesting based on your employer. So, like, for my wife, what retirement plans are offered to you? Like, smaller employers may have a lot less options available to you in that in those plans, and the expense ratios are a lot worse while – the university, because they're negotiating behalf, on behalf of all these employees and everyone wants their business, they actually have a really good variety of mutual funds you can choose from with really good expense ratios and stuff. And so, and I remember my dad worked at a small company. So like the CFO of the company basically can decide these plans. And so like the employees at his company would all kind of try to vote and try to convince that guy, like, we want these plans and not these ones and these ones offered and these expense ratios. And so it's, you know, some people, they, they kind of make it a game, but <laughs> just interesting. But for the so, but if you're if you don't necessarily have one of those set up, if you're self-employed, you might be looking down at an basically choosing between a Roth IRA and an, a traditional IRA. Yep. Yep. We mentioned that the Roth IRA is post-tax, so you earn a thousand dollars, you pay Uncle Sam forty-five, uh, four hundred dollars of that, or whatever it happens to be. Um, you know, and you're like, like in banks, so he's paying, you know, $400 of that, you know, I, I've seen him do really well trading, you know, on his, on his Twitch account. So, you know, <laughs> so, so you have to do $600 and then you take a portion of that, of what you have left and you can put that aside into a Roth IRA. So if I, I'll just say I'll, I'll take a hundred, so I earned a thousand, uncle Sam took 400, I'm left with 600. I'm going to take a hundred and put it in my Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. So my Roth IRA can then sit there. And as long as I don't cash out between before 59 and a half. I don't pay any more taxes, no matter how much, no matter if I contribute that when I'm 10 years old and then all of a sudden, you know, at 59 and a half, um, so it's been 50 years, so that $100 has now turned into like 17000 I don't pay taxes on that 17000 with a Roth IRA. Yeah. I think it is essentially the way it works. But you, you hypothetically could take the principal out if you needed to, but just the, the gains are what you can't. 
touch without. Uh, without that's a good point. Yeah. So at 35, when I when I need to make a down payment on my house, I can pull that hundred dollars back out, make my down payment on my house, and then you know stick it back in there if I want or not. You know, but like I can pull that anything that I've contributed, I can pull it out with no tax tax uh no tax yeah so if you hit a rough patch in your life you have an emergency or something like that you know and but you don't want to hurt you know you don't want to take a penalty you can still hit that amount and then now that's different for the t- traditional ira you actually get a tax break up front that's so you right. can contribute is it six thousand or sixty five hundred per year um i do apologize but i know it's fifty five hundred just a couple years ago and i'm going to log into my e-trade account because they tell me uh, how much like contribution? Well, yeah. So my, my understanding is that there's a limit, and both, you know, so the Roth IRA and the IRA account, uh, you can contribute a certain amount, but they, since I, I thought it was 12 or 24, but oh man, this is really bad. But basically, uh, the it's a combined amount for both of them. So you you can't just be like I'm gonna you know put 100. You can't hit 200%. They, they count against each other. Um, okay, but I think right now, yeah, right now. 6,000 in 2020, 6,000 is the maximum you can deduct from your taxes contributing to a traditional IRA. But, um, so if I if I take that, and that's actually what I use, I use a traditional IRA because for me, I'd rather say I'd rather have more money up front. I'd rather have Uncle Sam cut, you know, take take less money from my paycheck. Now I'd rather pay less taxes today mm-hmm. because I am trying to grow. Uh, I'm trying to grow some businesses. I'm trying to grow my trading account. I'm really trying to grow right now. And I think that the growth I'm going to experience in the next coming years is going to fire outpace any tax benefit I may or may not get in the future. So for me, I'm contributing to the traditional IRA. I'm taking that $6,000 benefit, but uh, I'm not, but basically I'm going to be taxed on everything when I finally do go to disperse my IRA when I do cash it out after 59 and a half. Yeah. And I, I would just That's, say, if you if you have student loans and you're on an income-based repayment plan, so again, a lot of young people, if you're if you're listening to this and you have student loans, that you're now okay. Well, Michael's really good. He didn't take any student <laughs> loans out because he got that GI bill. But if you also have student <laughs> loans and you're paying on an income-based repayment plan, so again, you're getting you're making your payments as a percentage of your income. If you make an IRA contribution, it's going to lower your adjusted gross income. So the government's going to think you're making less money, and so that is a good way to lower that. So if they, if they base your student loan payments off of your adjusted gross income, the lower you make your adjusted gross income, the lower student loan payment you're going to have to make per month. So th- an effective way, not saying you're hiding money from the government because this is a legitimate way the tax code is written, but you're effectively – By the federal the – federal, the federal government wrote this law yeah, and allows you to do this. This is nothing shady. It's one of those surprisingly legal ways. You're, you're saving money twice. You're saving money, you're saving money because you're letting it grow over time, and you're also saving money – because you're going to you're going to get pay less in student loan payments. So I think it's it's doubly beneficial for people in those situations. Highly recommend it. Very good. So I that's just, I kind of wanted to touch on those two, you know, just once we we're into the Roth, we might as well just kind of point out the difference between the Roth and the traditional. Um I'm going to add one little one little stickler here is me and Brian not financial advisors, not by any stretch of the imagination. Nothing we say or nothing we say here should be construed as financial advice. Please consult uh, a financial advisor if you do have specific questions about your specific uh, situation, whether it be with your child, with your retirement and everything like that. Uh, really, the goal here today was for us to more talk broadly about things and just say, you know, there's these there's these little tidbits and, it, and it's actually very different. And I think 
a lot of times people come into these things and they, they really just want a really simple answer. And I think if, if you if you stuck with us today, um, I think the one thing that you can definitely take from this is it's not simple. You know, there's so many little caveats and but you can you can work it to your favor and and you can definitely there's there's tax benefits for just about anybody out there. Um, you know, whether it's for your for your child uh, future you know, future plumbing degree or uh, whether, whether it's going to be your future PhD, there's ways that you could benefit uh, from some of the way these things are look are written. And, and, it, and it can seem so complex from the outside looking in. But um, for me, anyways, I think the, the key was to just get started, to start to read and start to ask some of the questions and, and don't get flustered because sometimes you do look at things you're like, I'm never going to understand this, but then you're like, okay, once you, you know, you write down your questions, come back the next day, you know, within a week of, of research, and I know it might sound like a lot, but I mean, I'm talking like an hour a day, not even, you can really figure out a lot of things and you can figure out if there's good tax benefits and there almost always uh, is tax benefits for, you know, for really any, anybody, whether, whether you're making, you know, 25 grand a year uh, and then well up to the, the plus 150,000 a year, which we already know those people know how to save on their taxes. Yeah, I, I, would, I would say, I think this is, to me, I mean, it's interesting research. It's it's to help my daughter out. But I also think, again, I think we, we take some fun out of gaining an edge or figuring something out or learning something new. So I, I find, you know, to do this kind of research, it can be, if, if you think about it in a certain way, you know, I'm, you can, you can make it a fun experience. You know, I'm trying to do research to benefit myself. And I think one maybe other note, um, you know, something my parents did as a, as a child, you know, I was kind of always interested in these topics. They actually signed me up for a community college class about saving when I was uh, like a teenager because I and I was the youngest kid in that class. And again, you could use your 529 plan money to go to this community college class. But then they, you know, they taught me those lessons about, again, it's kind of a basic course, but about, you know, compound interest and time in the market and these kind of things. And again, if you have children in the future and you want them to you know, learn these lessons. I think it was you as a parent, if you're enthusiastic about these things, if you're if you're excited to talk about these things and you even you let your kids go to different, you know, community college classes or have other educational opportunities, I think um, you know, it'll it'll benefit your kids in the long run as well. And I'm sure I'm sure Michael's uh, daughter is gonna is gonna love this kind of stuff in the future. I think I have a father daughter <laughs> podcast, you know, in a few years. <laughs> oh, I hope so. That would be the best. That'd be that'd be ultimate. That'd be really great. Well, good deal. I I think we really hit on most everything I want to talk about today. Um, it wasn't this wasn't going to be the most fun ever, but I also I thought it was really worthwhile to visit this for somebody that's coming into it, for somebody that's been through it for you know for a couple years. Um, you know, we obviously had very different backgrounds coming up, um, and when when we started contributing to retirement accounts and everything, but we both have reaped benefits from it. Um, so, and I think, and I think educating ourselves about it, knowing a little more was really the key, you know, don't, I know I said, you know, ask a financial advisor, but don't rely exclusively on a financial advisor, you know, may, learn this stuff yourself a little bit. Um, no, no, I think it's important to kind of know the ins and outs, uh, for your, for your own benefit, because nobody's going to look out for you. Like you're going to look out for you. So are, are we at the time I get to ask you a fun question of the day, Michael? Absolutely, I'm I'm good on uh, 529s, IRAs, traditional IRAs, 401k. I'm good on that. So let's have some fun. Okay, so this is this is kind of fun, but uh, related topic. So so people listening, Michael just recently bought a house. He has a daughter on the way. Life is going great for him. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question. Um, 
what is your favorite new feature or what is your favorite feature about the house that you've bought recently? And then um, what is the, uh, I guess, most interesting thing you've bought in your daughter, future daughter uh, so far to date? So what, what are the most interesting feature of your house? And what's the uh, most interesting future thing that you've bought for your daughter so far? Well, you know the three rules of real estate, right? Location, location, location. I am I, I'm a big runner. It's how I met Brian, and I am nine houses from the Greenway. Oh. I, can, I can run. I probably have act. I actually know, considering I can I can cross one major road, and it's not even that major. I can cross one road on this Greenway and get access to so many incredible parks. So I have to say the Greenway, the, the in the access to the vicinity of the Greenway is absolutely the uh, the best my the best, my favorite feature about the house so far. I mean it's a little more it's a little more space for us and everything. It's a great house, but I really have loved being just super close to the Greenway and uh, and just you know being able to get on the Greenway and run because I'm not doing anything else. You know I'm not going out to eat. I'm not <laughs> I'm not visiting family. It's like the one outlet I feel like I have right now. So I'm out even every morning right now. I'm out running uh, and I can just get on that Greenway and just run and you know put. So now that I was thinking about it, I'm usually doing five ten miles, but I can actually put in easily twenty or thirty miles if I wanted to and only cross one road. So Oh man, you gotta, you gotta get the backyard ultra going there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then uh you said the most interesting thing I've bought for my yeah. future daughter. Yeah. Um, so you know, we got the crib, we got a dresser, we got a changing table. I love our rocker. We got an official glider. A glider, wow. A glider, yes. Not any, not this is not a paper airplane. Okay, this is a, a glider chair, and yeah, we we splurged a little bit on it. The wife's like, oh, these are so expensive. I, you know, I don't, I don't like to divulge how much I spent. <laughs> so wait, wait till you try to get a running stroller. It's like it's like buying a car. Okay, there's like so many different features. And so that's like I haven't. We, we've got a basic stroller right now, um, but we have. I have not picked out a running stroller just yet. I was told I can't really. Take her running for like six months, so yeah, figure one step at a time. <laughs> yeah, so I was hoping to maybe pick. <laughs> I figured maybe I can pick one up here in the fall, and have one, you know, pick one up used in the fall, so I have it for the spring. Because I figure spring is really when I might first get to get a chance to use it. So, I, so yeah, I love the Greenway and the uh, and the glider. I really love the glider. <laughs> awesome. Well, good stuff. Well, I think it's been a, it's been a fun episode. It's been great talking to you, Michael. Great talking to you, Brian. Uh, really appreciate you coming on and sharing all your expertise about the, uh, yeah, the 529. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Well, thank you all for listening again. Uh, this is Trading for Keeps. This is Michael. This is Brian. And uh, tune in again, and we will see you on the next episode. All right. Bye.